Tonight we will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. You can find our passage on page 1015 in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And his lips, uh, let him return away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So we are very much tempted to um, define how we live according to the desires of the flesh and the priorities of the world. Especially if we're not getting into the word, if we're not meditating on the grace of the gospel, uh, we're going to start pulling in those values that are given to us through our entertainment media, through our news outlets, or through just the cultural, um, the, the kind of the cultural morals and values, uh, be they Christian or non-Christian. Peter here is uh, so far uh, that we've been talking about this has given instructions to the church going back into chapter two, given instructions to believers about how we are to respond to the governing authorities and other and and as well as uh, how we should respond in other relationships from servants to spouses, and the central principle that has been been there to define how we respond to authorities authorities, and even abusive authorities is the example of Christ. Uh, The example of Christ and and also working not only from his example but from our security in his glorious salvation. And so Peter, Peter begins tonight's text with the word finally. He's indicating that he's bringing this uh, this meditation, this section on Christian uh, service and response to authorities to a close, uh, but the exact parameters uh, as to what this, you know, where does this finally end that is, is widely debated. Uh, it may extend all the way to the end of chapter 3. Uh, but at any rate, uh, Peter is tying together Threads that he's been that he's been putting out there, beginning in chapter two, that help us to grasp the reality of what it means to live as Christians in a fallen world. And so tonight he gives us three principles. First, when it comes to the church, he wants us to care for each other like a big family. And secondly, when it comes to the enemies of the church, he tells us, "Don't get even." Instead, give and get the blessing of God. And then third, more broadly speaking, kind of fun, what's kind of a fundamental, um, uh, what's fundamental to the first two is that if we're going to seek life, seek life in the eyes of the Lord. So we'll look at each of those three tonight. So first in verse 8, we see Peter give this command that it, when it comes to the church, when it comes to believers, that we need to care for each other like a family. And he expresses this idea by exhorting believers to cultivate 
godly character. And he gives us a list of character traits. And it's this list of character traits that tells us that he's talking about the church. Because he says we should have unity of mind. Well, you, you wouldn't have unity of mind with the world, right? Or with the fallen culture or with unbelievers. You have unity of mind with the church. Sympathy, brotherly love, tender, a tender heart, a humble mind. Now, one thing is that all these qualities have in common is that they all have to do with human relationships. They all have to do with how we relate to others. And so, and particularly in the church. And to have unity of mind is to share that godly heritage, to be united into, in the person and work of Christ. And remember, these people are coming from all kinds of pagan backgrounds. And so it would be to reject our Gentile or pagan past and embrace that Christ-centered existence. To have sympathy is to feel alongside another. It's what Paul expressed in Romans 12, 15, when he said to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. It is to come alongside another and experience with them what they're going through to whatever degree we can. Now, brotherly love may be a term that's thrown thrown around a lot today, but it is not one that was thrown around a lot in the ancient world. It was a term specifically used for the affection you would have for your sibling. And Peter commands the church to have brotherly love for one another. Brotherly love, not acquaintance love, not friendship love, not business partner love, but to love one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And ideally, okay, uh, we could have some ugly interactions with our siblings, uh, but ideally this would mean that we would have a forgiving and patient sacrificial love for one another. A tender heart is basically what it sounds like. It's a mixture of affection and compassion for one another. It is the exact opposite of a hard heart. A heart that is unfeeling, uncaring, and unloving. And while some of these virtues can be found in lists of Roman and Greek virtue lists, they love to make these types of kind of moral virtue lists. The the last one that Peter puts on here would not be found on those lists, and that is a humble mind. So now, Greek and Roman thought did not like arrogance, particularly when it came to the gods. If you thought you were better than gods, or you could outsmart the gods. But that doesn't mean that they encouraged a a humble mindset. Because Roman culture disdained a humble mind because it generally meant that um, it's the word pusillanimous. <laughs> it's basically the one who lacks courage or determination to defend their own honor. Humility is the mindset of slaves and the lowborn, not for honorable members of society. Yet Christians are called to have a modest perception of themselves. We are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to when we put the needs of our brothers and sisters ahead of our own. And so to, to put this together, Peter essentially calls Christians to be united in their thinking, expressing their compassion in love with tenderness toward one another, which requires a depth of humility. And all of this is just is, is in this general um, concept of family. And this really challenges us to consider how we view the church. 
You know, why does Peter tell us to focus on these traits that would cause us to treat each other like family members, even treat each other better than we treat maybe some of our family members? Well, as one scholar wrote, I mean, on the one hand, generally speaking, these Christian virtues help to sustain Christian community. Christian churches would not last if you did not have these characteristics. But even more, these things flow from the reality of our Savior who unites us together by His Spirit. Our Lord is the one who humbled Himself and took on humanity and took on a cross. Our Lord loved His disciples. He called them friends made them His brothers by His own blood. And so the godly character Peter calls us to is a family character that is defined by our Father in Heaven and our elder brother, Jesus. He sets the example for us. And by His salvation, He makes it possible for us in the grace of the Spirit. We have been taught to call each other brothers and sisters, but we need to go beyond that title and consider what it means to truly treat each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because some people view the church not as a family, but as just a a volunteer organization. Uh, You know, some people view the church as kind of a nostalgic scrapbook because they went there as a kid. And it's just kind of a, I just kind of go there when I want to feel spiritual. I want to bring up the old fond memories of the good old days. Some people treat the church as a lucky rabbit's foot. It's a superstitious, just got to go in there and, you know, rub the foot and, you know, get God's favor. Some people view the church as kind of a Christian Walmart where they can go and the customer is always right. But Peter says, this is the family of God. And this is what a family is like. The Christian family is to be like. And so that means wherever we're out of step with this list that Peter gives us, then we're out of step with our family, then we need to repent. And we need to trust. And we need to grow. Next, Peter turns outward and he exhorts us to, as we, as we think about our enemies and think about the hostility that we encounter in the world, that as a church, we need to seek blessing while we live in this hostile world. And so when dealing with our enemies, see, even though our worst enemies, Peter tells us, don't get even, give blessing. Peter gives us what we call, what has been called by others, the principle of non-retaliation. Uh, Don't return in kind what people give you, even if it's evil or reviling. Now, reviling doesn't mean someone was mean to us on Twitter or they cut us off in traffic or they were just kind of, they they said something nice, but I think they were kind of thinking something mean in the background, like that kind of southern thing, you know. Um, No, no, no. Reviling is verbal abuse. It is speech that is highly offensive and insulting. Peter isn't saying just, you know, sit there and take it with a smile, but he is definitely saying if that's what happens to you and people spew forth garbage at you, don't spew forth garbage back at them. Do not return fire for fire. Don't fight fire with fire. That is not the Christian way. But then Peter takes it further. Not just non-retaliation, He says, not only do we not return the evil or the reviling, but instead, bless those who revile you, who do evil to you. Now, to bless them essentially is to pray for them, genuinely, out of the goodness of our hearts. Now, people at this point may push back 
As if I'm mis- misreading the text, or, or maybe Peter is misunderstanding what the right response ought to be here. Don't you know what they said? Don't you understand what they did? But, uh, but, and we should note that our culture today is all about fighting fire with fire. In fact, actually, they say they come at you with matches, you get a blowtorch, and you burn that sucker down, and then you drop napalm out of the sky, so that way no one else will ever come near you again. Right? That's our culture's attitude. You just firebomb everything. But consider what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, verse 27. He says, I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. The fact that this is a tall order is not in dispute. No one's contesting it. The fact that this may be unusual in our world is not contested either. That's understandable. We know that. But Peter is simply calling us to walk in the way of our Savior and the teaching of our Savior. When they spew hate, we give love. When they insult us, we encourage them in grace. When they curse us, we pray for God to bless them and to reveal himself to them. Now, why is this? Well, one reason we don't retaliate is because we are not ruled by the words and the deeds of our enemies. Other people's words and actions don't define who we are. They don't define our value. They don't define our response. We don't don't live in response to our enemies. That is a very sad place to live. It's always reactionary. They have no power over us. Our value, our hope, our dignity are all determined by Christ who himself endured malicious insults and terrible violence. But as a sheep is silent, he did not make a noise, right? He did not return evil for evil. And we share in his way. He calls us to that way. And to share in his wounds, to share in his suffering, is the honor of his disciples. The book of Acts, what happened when they were beaten and threatened? They went away rejoicing. Did they wince in pain for days from the, from the cuts from the lashes on their backs? You bet they did. Could they not sleep on their back for weeks? Probably. Was it sore? Yes, but then they rejoiced because they got to suffer for the sake of Christ, to receive the honor of sharing the sufferings of the Savior. The more we suffer, the closer we come to identifying with our Lord. One scholar wrote, talking about the section, that, that what, what Peter's saying here is that those who are not able, those who are able not only to simply clench their teeth and remain silent, but to maintain an inner attitude that allows one to pray sincerely for the well-being of their adversaries, are truly a witness to the life-changing power of the new identity in Christ. To be able to do this is a work of the Spirit. It is not just a teeth clenched, white knuckle, you know, I will be kind, you know, like. It's, it, is a, it is the fruit of the Spirit in us that enables us to do it. But, but Peter says, don't get even. Instead, give blessing 
And further, he says, while you're giving blessing, get blessing. Peter says that we are to respond to our enemies this way because to this we were called. But how are we called? Well, this is a reference to that calling into, into eternal life through the gospel. We were called into the grace of God through our Savior Jesus Christ, who taught us to respond to our enemies in this way, who himself did respond to his enemies in this way. We are called and, and thus we belong to Christ, and we are called then to live in a way that is different than the rest of the world. And further, we are called, Peter says, that we would inherit we would receive a blessing. Now, some misinterpret Peter at this point to, to be saying that you cannot be saved unless you respond correctly to your enemies in this way, uh, in some kind of work salvation type manner. Uh, others interpret this to mean that we earn blessings in a very kind of mercenary type way. Um, but what's, what Peter is simply working from is the concept that our Christian calling includes suffering because of the one after whom we are named. We are Christians. We are those who are of Christ. And in a world full of sin, suffering, and hatred, uh, you know, it, suffering is a part of that, we know. But unless we forget, as we endure the slings and arrows of our enemies, we were called to grace. We are called even to endure in suffering insults for the name of Christ. That we would receive eternal blessings in the kingdom of God. And it is further true that God promises to reward those who do suffer for His name. So even when we are attacked for our faith and when we do not return it in kind, but instead we pray for our enemies, we do good for them. Well, on the one hand, other passages say in doing so we heap burning coals on their head. Right? But, uh, but, we, all, but we also are pleasing our Heavenly Father. And the world tells us that, you know, that when we do it, when we respond this way, if we don't, if we don't return fight fire with fire, that, we're, that we lose, and that we are losers if we live in this, in this way. But God has blessed us. He continues to bless us in Christ. No one can take that away from us. And so we don't, we're not threatened by what others say to us or, or can do to us. And, not, and, and so when we live in this way, we, don't, we not only set our opposition on their heels when we give them love and grace and prayer, but, but, but they, and, and sometimes they get set back and they start reevaluating themselves. And they may start thinking about their own life. And they might start thinking about what kind of change has happened in this person that they would respond in this way. So there was a, a professor who was asking her students uh, for examples uh, of any stories or any personal uh, um, anecdotes about uh, this, type of, this type of experience that they've had of suffering for the name of Christ. And one of the students shared about a Christian soldier who um, would read and pray, uh, in, read his Bible and pray every evening in the barracks. And he got a lot of negative attention for this, uh, including one, uh, one night having a pair of boots thrown at his head. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, but the next morning, the guy who threw the boots found his boots shined and cleaned and ready for inspection. And several other soldiers in the unit took notice of this behavior, and several of them ended up in time coming to faith 
because they saw the way that this Christian responded to all the animosity and, and hatred he was getting. And so Peter tells us, care for the church like a family. When it comes to our enemies, don't get even with them. Give blessing and also get blessing from the Lord as we obey and follow and suffer for the name of Christ. And finally, in verses 10 to 12, he gives us this general principle which really undergirds the first two, which is that if you're going to seek life, seek life in the eyes of the Lord. And he encourages us to walk in the way of God's people from the past. Because Peter here quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Psalm 34 was a song that was written by David that he wrote after he had been delivered out of the hands of his enemies. Uh, that, was the one, that was the story when uh, David was brought before Abimelech and he acted crazy. And Abimelech said, am I in, you know, am I, do I have a shortage of crazy people that you brought this guy in here? Get him out of here. All right? And then David wrote this song about uh, God's deliverance of him. And David is running around, you know, fleeing for his life in a hostile, in a hostile land. And, you know, does that begin to sound familiar about God's people trying to survive and live in a hostile land? Why Peter might want to quote that? And that's a familiar story. For Israel, It's a song even that Israel knew before David wrote it as they wandered about in the wilderness, a very hostile place. It's a song that Israel knew when after the, in the exile, when they're in Babylon, in a foreign and hostile land, and seeking to exist. Even when they returned, and they were, not, they were still not in friendly territory when they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem, building with one hand and a sword in the other. Right? And so here Peter addresses this Christian church, these churches, these Christians who are living in northern, uh, in, in northern Asia Minor, northern Turkey, who have come to faith in Christ, and now because of their faith, even though this may be their homeland, they are now living in hostile territory. And what David writes in Psalm 34 is true, and it remains true then, and it remains true today. It is a statement of hope and direction for the people of God. For just as David was delivered and Israel was delivered, so, Peter says, the church too shall be delivered from the hands of the enemy in the hostile land. But while you live in this hostile land, and quoting this section of Psalm 34, Peter is encouraging the Christians to delight themselves in the Lord. He's encouraging us to do the same. Because if you look at the quote here, it says, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Well, who doesn't, right? Who doesn't uh, desire to love, you know, to love life and to uh, and to seek good days, right? So this is it's a very natural desire. Like the, like it's the opposite, right? Of we very naturally don't want to die, right? We have a very natural desire to not die. We have a very natural desire to want to live and to have good days. It's very natural. And, and it's, this is because we were made to live. This is how God made us. But someone might say, well, but isn't it a contradiction to what Jesus said? Uh, because Jesus said that those who love their life will lose it. And that's true. He did say that. But it's not an actual contradiction. Uh, because, uh, and, it, and it's more than the reason that Scripture doesn't contradict itself. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. But a lot of times people will go looking for contradictions in the Scriptures. And when they found something, find something that 
seemingly looks like a contradiction. They, they just go, well, mission accomplished. I'm not going to dig any further. Clearly a contradiction. But it's like if you'll take five minutes, maybe less, and think about it a little bit, you'll find out that actually this is not a contradiction. Because what did Jesus mean when he said that? When he said, those who love their life will lose it. And uh, it, Well, he said that it, to people who were seeking their life apart from God. That they were seeking their life apart from faith and obedience. They were seeking their life particularly in possessions and greed. In lust and the comforts of the earth. And so he was talking to people who valued life more than they loved God. And so he said, those, if that's you, then you will lose your life. And you lose everything that you value the most because you can't take it with you. Right? But the Bible, on the other hand, is very clear as to the pathway of blessing. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. Blessing. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. Blessing. And so consider how David says we are to seek life and good days on the earth. Essentially, he he says, by exercising self-control with our speech and with our actions, that we keep our mouths from speaking evil. We not only turn away from evil, but we actually do good. We don't just passively accept peace if it happens. We actively seek and pursue peace. In our relationships and in the world. And there are passages, passage after passage, even in the New Testament, that encourage us to live at peace with all men, if at all possible. We're supposed to seek peace, not be like, well, if they come to me, maybe. Right? It's like, well, no, we're actually actually called to seek out peace. But why would we do that? Well, as David says in the psalm, as Peter quotes, because the eyes of the Lord are upon us. Because his ear is open to our prayers. He says the eye, because he says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now the righteous is not the perfect one. The righteous is essentially the, the people of God who are following God by faith and doing their best to obey his commands by his grace. I mean, that's, it's, it's the church, right? It's true believers. So not perfect people, but Christians. And so he's saying, look, you know, and so the Lord is, his eyes are upon us. He hears our prayers. And so that's why we refrain our, our speech from doing, from, from, from speaking deceit or, or evil things, from doing evil deeds. Why? Because the Lord is watching. His eyes are upon us. We don't want to grieve the spirit. And further, we do good. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are upon us. We want to please our heavenly father. We want to honor him and obey him in love. And we know that the path of blessing does not lie with sin, but through faith and obedience in God. Right? Trust and obey, but there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You can't just trust and not obey. And you can't not trust and obey, right? It's <laughs> like we have to trust and obey. And Peter says what David wrote in Psalm 34 is still true today. In fact, we have an even greater revelation of blessing than David did. We have a greater revelation of blessing in Jesus Christ, a better example in Jesus Christ, a better covenant 
with Jesus in Jesus Christ with better blessings that we get to enjoy now and the clarity of those promises that have been given to us in the New Testament and the New Covenant. And so the wisdom of God remains true. Those who desire life and good days ought to seek them in the Lord, to live in His sight. To live with the face of God upon you is actually the Hebrew verbal picture of blessing. The picture of blessing in the Hebrew mind is for God to smile upon us. And the Hebrew idea of cursing is for God to turn his face or to set his face against us. And that's what he says that he does to the wicked, to those who do evil. And so life and goodness are found in God. And so because that's true, we need to seek those things in him. God does not fault us or or get angry at us if we're seeking life and happiness and joy in him through faith and obedience. It's not like, why do you want happiness? Right? It's seeking our happiness in the Lord. That's what he teaches us to do. And so for Peter and for us, what this means is that as Christians, we need to care for each other as a family. It means that when it comes to our enemies, we need to return uh, their evil with, with goodness and blessing and prayer. We do it that they may return, that they may turn in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and be blessed by God, even as we are blessed by him in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not only do we have a good example in Jesus Christ, but we have salvation in his name. That he changes how we relate to the world. And that a group of people that would be strangers or acquaintances or neighbors at best are made family because we believe in Jesus. And we have been adopted into the family of God. So we have one father, one elder brother, one savior, one spirit, one gospel. And Lord, we pray that we would be centered upon that and that the things that threaten to tear us apart, petty things, small things, annoyances, uh, petty grievances, Father, that we would let them go. That we would encourage one another, love one another, forgive one another, seek forgiveness from each other when we sin against each other. Or that we would truly stick by each other like family. And Lord, we pray that when it comes to our enemies, that your spirit would be work in our hearts. That, we, that would work in our hearts that we do not need to seek out personal vengeance. That we do not need to, to, to squeeze out uh, the, the blood of our revenge. To get, to, to get back what was taken from us or to respond uh, fire, uh, with fire for fire. To respond with evil for evil. Lord, we pray that we would follow Christ. The Spirit would enable us and strengthen us and bless us, give us peace. To help us to even give us grief over our enemies. To see how wounded and weak and pitiable they are. That we would genuinely pray for them. To pray for their repentance. To pray for their conversion. To pray for their souls. Because if they don't, we know what's going to happen to them. And Lord, may we just live in that security that is in Christ. And and that we may receive blessing even as we give it. And Lord, as we look at our life, may we indeed seek life and good days in you. 
May we exercise self-control over our mouths, our speech, and our actions. That we may give you glory. That we may live as those who walk in the sight of the Lord. Who have the ear of the creator and redeemer. Who listens to us when we cry out to you. Father, may joy and confidence fill our hearts. And Father, may you be glorified in us. As we give a faithful testimony to Christ's goodness and salvation. We pray all this in Christ's glorious name. Amen.